Good morning, church family. I am so happy to see all of you, and I really mean that. And I hope that you are happy. I hope you're happy to see me. I hope you're happy to see each other. Uh, in fact, I would love for you to turn to the person next to you and look them in the eyes and say, I am so happy that you are here. Can you do that? Yeah. It's, you really sound happy. I am, I'm, you really sounded happy. Uh, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I mean that, that we really are, ha I mean, seriously, whether you have been here for 50 years or whether this is your first Sunday here, whether you are very young or very old, whether you are really excited to be here or whether you are here against your will. And I know there are some of you who are. Uh, I mean it to say that we are really happy that we can be together as we get back into the rhythms of this fall. You know, I want to take a moment just in the beginning of the fall, especially since there's, you know, we're all coming together again, there's some new faces here. I want to just remind us of who we are and what we're about at Third. And the great vision statement that we galvanize around at Third is this, that we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. That we believe that because of Jesus, because of his life and his death and his resurrection, God has welcomed us into a new community by grace, and this community has a purpose. That this purpose is the renewal of all things. That what God is doing in the world right now is he is renewing. He is renewing human beings by his grace. He is renewing relationships and communities. He's renewing work and culture. He's renewing Metro Richmond. He's even renewing the world. And we are called through Jesus along with God to join him in the renewing of all things. And that is amazing. What a privilege to be a part of that. And this fall, our theme for this fall is just two words taken from that vision statement that we are called together. We're called together. And I want to ask just a simple question of location right now. I want to ask a question of location. Where is it that we are called together? What is the place that we are called together in? And I would suggest to you is that there's two main locations where we as a church family are called together. And the first place is right here at 600 Forest Avenue. And the good news is, is that you already did it. You showed up today. Well done. That one of the main places that we are called together week by week is right here on Sunday mornings. And this is actually really central to who we are and what we do. We come here every Sunday and we are filled up to remember what is most true about ourselves and about the love of God for us. I have a sort of an object lesson for you here. Do you know what, you know what this is? This is a, a very large colander. It may have been made for Vikings, I think. It can <laughs> double as a helmet, you know? But I want you to think of yourself as a colander because what happens every week is that we come and we gather together and we are filled up with the truth of who we are and the truth of God's love and his word. And then we spend the whole week long, that truth draining out, right? That's what happened to me all week this week. You know, I forgot who I am as God's beloved child. I forgot that I am a sinner who is saved by grace. You know, I forgot the purpose in life half the time. I forgot what is good and true and beautiful. You know, I forgot the great love and faithfulness of God when I had moments of fear and anxiety this week. You know, we spent our all week things draining out of us and then we come back together to be filled up yet again with the truth of who we are as God's beloved and the truth of who God is and his great love and faithfulness to us. So he is the one who is calling and summoning us week by week into worship, to learn together, to grow together, to serve each other here. In this place, we are called together here. 
okay? That's the first place we're called together. But this is not the only place we're called together. We're also called together, look out the windows. We're called together out there. I don't mean the parking lot or anything. I mean out there in Metro Richmond is where we are called together. You know, I, uh, this, this week was, was a hard week for many of our students um, who returned to school and for parents who have students. Goodness gracious. Um, but for me, it was an especially difficult week because um, one of my girls went into sixth grade for the first time at a new school. And for me, sixth grade was the worst year of my life. <laughs> Hands down, no contest. Two weeks before sixth grade, my family moved from the suburbs of Chicago, which I loved, to a tiny little town in southeast Tennessee called Signal Mountain. And, uh, and, I, and, to, and I walked into school that first day of sixth grade, and I knew not a soul. And I, I walked in this big cafeteria, and there's all of these kids, all milling around, and I was totally alone, totally alone. And I was scanning the room just looking for somebody that I could reach out to. There's this boy. He's sitting at a table by himself. He's wearing a trench coat and blue hair. So I thought, surely this guy needs a friend. So I walk up to him. I sit down and say, hey, I'm Corey. He gets up, walks away. Right? <laughs> this, this, is, this was the began my nightmare. And, and this is the, I think this is the great fear that all of us have is that yet we, we are alone. And I'm sure that you know that experience. You can, be in, you can be in a party, you can be in a big crowded room of people, and yet feel completely alone. It's so easy to feel unknown. In fact, you know, it's funny because modern day Americans are some of the most connected and most well-networked people that have ever existed in history, and yet studies show that Americans are some of the loneliest people on the world. Right? We are separated from one another. We are ideologically and geographically segregated from each other. The thick traditions of community that once made our, our, the fabric of our national life strong have, have all but eroded. And even coming to church may not help this much because we've essentially made church into a big entertainment show that happens on Sunday, and it's so easy to show up and be not known. How can you actually know somebody in a few minutes on a Sunday morning? How can you know and be known? And God wants better for us. God has a vision for his church that is better than that. He, he's, he's called us together here, but then he calls us together out there to do life together and to live in community together and to bear each other's burdens and to be on mission together. As Church is not just a place to go. It is a people who go. A people who join Jesus on the road. A people who join together in the mission with him in the world. And so how do we do that here at Third? How are we called together out there? Well, for us at Third, the main way we do that is through our parish life, our parish life. We have these 12, you can see them on this map there, we have 12 geographic parish areas. And no matter who you are, whether you've been in Richmond, whether you've been in this church for 30 years or whether this is your first Sunday, if you live in one of these geographic areas in Metro Richmond, then listen, you have a people and you have a place. In every one of these parish areas, there are assigned elders and deacons who are dedicated to your care, who are dedicated to your spiritual support. And in every one of these parishes, there are one or more geographic parish groups, groups of people who meet weekly to care for each other and grow and be on mission together. And listen, no matter where you live or how involved you are, there are people in this congregation who know your name and who want to know you. And no matter who you are, you can show up at somebody's door and eat a hot meal. And that there will be people who are there to, who are glad to see you. And no matter what's going on in your life, you can be known. You don't have to be alone. You can be known. And so that's what we do. That's what we do, friends. 
We are called together, and we are called together in two main places. Here on Sundays at Forest Avenue, and out there, all across, scattered throughout Richmond, as we do life together during the week. And do not forget, the whole purpose of our being called together is what? For the renewal of all things. We don't just come together for ourselves to enjoy relationships and grow personally, have a good time. We do all those things. But the whole purpose of our coming together is to join God in what he is doing in his work of renewal in our neighborhoods, in our city, and even among us in our own hearts. So here's my question. How are you going to be a part of this this fall? How are you going to be a part of this? I want you to consider, I want to gently challenge you, whatever your level of involvement in our church, consider taking it, consider amping it up one more level. Or as the children say in the last battle, further up, further in. You know, consider that. Maybe you only show up here once a month on a Sunday. Try making it twice a month. Try it. Just try it. See how that goes. Maybe you've been attending for a long time, but you've never made the commitment to join our community as a covenant partner. Come to our newcomers class. It starts next week. Maybe you come to worship every Sunday religiously, but you've resisted being known. You've resisted actually knowing others and being known. Well, come to one of these parish area gatherings tonight. Look on the back of the bulletin. There's 12 gatherings that are going to be happening all around our city. And where you live, 12 of them, you can find out where, which parish you're in, this website on the bottom. And we'll do this rain or shine. Oh, Lord, may it shine. Yes. <laughs> and so here's my point. Let's do this. Let's commit to do this together, okay? There will always be frustrating and disappointing things about church because <laughs> we're human. And maybe there's a lot of things that you don't enjoy. You know, maybe, maybe you might not like the music sometimes. Maybe you think the preacher's annoying. <laughs> maybe you think the seats are uncomfortable or it's too hot in here. Maybe you've tried out a parish group and there were too many kids or there were too few kids or it was too chaotic or the avocados weren't ripe. I don't know. I'm sure there was something that was wrong. But listen, friends, in the end, can I say this? It's not about you. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about God and what God has done through Jesus to do something new, create a new community and to start a new mission. And that is worth it. That is a purpose that is worth our time and that is worth our commitment. So can we do this together? Dear family, can we do this together? We're called together. All right, can we say amen? Amen. amen. Okay, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna pray that God does this in us this fall. But then I'm also gonna pray for us as we just dip our toe into the book of Ruth today. Just a teensy weensy introduction to this amazing book that we'll be together in this fall. So let's pray. Our Father, we do pray that you would do this wonderful work of grace in us, that even, we're, we're, we're even more than ever, you would call us deep into life together, that we would be together, called together here on Sundays, and then we would be called together as we do life together during the week in our parishes, our parish groups, and our other groups, that we would just live out the gospel together, and that you would privilege us with being a part of what you're doing. And Lord, we do pray now that as we begin to look at this amazing book of Ruth, that you would fill all of us with the Holy Spirit, that it would challenge and change us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's, let's turn just to our Bibles, just for a moment. We're page 11 in your bulletin. We're just, like I said, we're just going to just scratch the surface and give some introductory remarks to the book of Ruth today. I have been wanting to preach on the book of Ruth for about four years. I'm so excited about this amazing book. And we're gonna just begin by reading just a few verses from the very beginning, okay? 
Now, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. A few verses later in verse 16, Ruth says this to Naomi, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Because we care so much about listening carefully to the ancient word and understanding its original history and context, I'm just going to begin by showing you a brief video made for, by the guys of the Bible Project that introduces the story of Ruth. So let's watch that together. The Book of Ruth, it's a brilliant work of theological art, and it invites us to reflect on the question of how God is involved in the day-to-day -day joys and hardships of our lives. There are three main characters in the book, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the Israelite farmer. And their story is told in four chapters that are beautifully designed. Let's just dive in and see how this all unfolds. Chapter one opens with this line, in the days when the judges ruled. And it reminds us of the very dark and difficult days from the book of Judges. And here we meet an Israelite family in Bethlehem struggling to survive through a famine. And so in search of food, they move on to the land of Moab, Israel's ancient enemy. And there the father of the family dies, and the sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the sons, they die too. And so they leave only Naomi and these new daughters-in-law. And so Naomi, she has no reason to stay anymore. And so she tells her new daughters-in-law that she's moving back home. And Naomi, she knows that the life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be very hard. And so she compels the women to stay behind. Orpah agrees, but Ruth does not. She shows remarkable loyalty to Naomi. And she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will become my people and your God will become my God. And so the two of them return to Israel together. And the chapter concludes with Naomi changing her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew, and she laments her tragic fate. Chapter 2 begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing where they're going to find food. And it just so happens to be the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Ruth goes out to look for food, and it just so happens that she ends up picking grain in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be Naomi's relative. We're told that Boaz is a man of noble character, and he notices Ruth. And so after finding out more about her story, he shows remarkable generosity to her. He makes these special provisions so that the immigrant Ruth can gather grain in his field. And in doing so, Boaz is actually obeying an explicit command of the Torah to show generosity to the immigrant and the poor. Boaz is so impressed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. He prays for her that God will reward her for her boldness. 
So Ruth comes home that day, and Naomi finds out that she met Boaz, and she is thrilled. She says Boaz is their family redeemer. Now, this family redeemer thing, this was a cultural practice in Israel where if a man in the family died and he left behind a wife or children or land, it was the family redeemer's responsibility to marry that widow, to take up the land, and protect that family. So Naomi, she begins to hope that perhaps there might still be a future for her family. Chapter 3 begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan to get Boaz to notice their situation. So Ruth is going to stop wearing clothes of a grieving widow, and she's going to show signs that she's available to be married. And so Ruth goes to meet Boaz on the farm that night. And as she approaches, Boaz wakes up, and he's totally startled. And Ruth makes her intentions very clear. She asks if Boaz will redeem Naomi's family and marry Boaz is once again amazed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her family, and he calls Ruth a woman of noble character. It's the same term used to describe the woman of Proverbs 31. So Boaz tells Ruth to wait until the next day, and he will redeem both Ruth and Naomi legally before the town elders. And so the chapter ends with Ruth returning to Naomi, and they marvel together at all of these recent events. In chapter 4, it all comes together. It turns out, at the last minute, Boaz discovers there is a family member who's closer to Naomi than he is, and he's actually eligible before him to redeem the family. But at the last second, this family member finds out that he's going to have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, and so he declines. But Boaz, remember, he knows Ruth's true character, and so he acquires the family property of Naomi, and he marries Ruth. And so just at the beginning, how Ruth was loyal to Naomi's family, so now Boaz is loyal to Naomi's family as well. The story concludes with a reversal of all of the tragedies from chapter 1. So the death of the husband and the sons is reversed as Ruth is married again and gives birth to a new son, granting joy to Naomi. And this symmetry between the opening and the closing, it's even more remarkable. So remember, the opening tragedy was followed by a great act of loyalty on the part of Ruth. And that is now matched by Boaz's act of loyalty that leads to the family's final restoration. And this symmetry, it highlights the design of the internal chapters as well. So each of the chapters begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan for their future. And that's followed by a providential meeting between Ruth and Boaz, and each chapter concludes with Naomi and Ruth rejoicing at what's taken place. This story is beautifully designed, and that design actually connects with a really interesting feature of the story, and that's how little God is mentioned. Right? The characters talk about God a few times, but the narrator actually never once mentions God doing anything directly in the story, and that's its brilliance. Because God's providence is at work behind every scene of this story, weaving together the circumstances and choices of all these characters. So Naomi, her tragedy leads her to think that God is punishing her. But actually, the whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family. And he's doing so through Ruth, through her boldness and loyalty, which brings healing to Naomi's life. But not without Boaz, who's a no-nonsense farmer who's full of generosity and loyalty. And so God uses his integrity combined with Ruth's boldness to save Naomi and her family. And so this story brilliantly explores the interplay of God's purposes and will with human decision and will. 
God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. And that leads to the real end of the story. The book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy showing how Boaz and Ruth's son, Oved, was the grandfather of King David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, these seemingly mundane, ordinary events in this story are woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. And so the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might be at work in the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives as well. And that's what the book of Ruth is all about. So that's the story. And that's the amazing story that we're going to delve together this fall. And our, our theme that we're really going to drill down is where you can see this, this beautiful logo that our brilliant designer, Chris Porter, made. Um, it says right under that, love without limits. That's our great theme for this book, which really interplays on this theme, this word that comes up in the book of Ruth again and again. And it is this word, chesed. Chesed. Let's, let's say that together. Chesed. You have to hack, like you're hacking up something. Chesed. You know? And chesed is notoriously difficult to translate into English. Sometimes it's translated loyalty, as it was in that video. Sometimes it's translated uh, devotion or loving kindness or faithfulness. But above all, it is, it is the language of covenant. It speaks of a promise. Chesed is loyal, committed love that freely gives of the self to the other. Paul Miller defines chesed as love without an exit strategy. Or in our case, love without limits. It's one of the great themes in our book and one that we'll, we'll be orbiting around uh, this fall. Now, there are two main ways that we will see this chesed lived out in the book of Ruth. The first is in human relationships as one person does chesed to another person. Now, when Ruth says those wonderful words to her mother-in-law, where you go, I will go, where you, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, where you die, there I will be buried. When she says that, she is practicing chesed. She, she is putting a stake in the ground. She's saying, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you do. I am not, I don't even care what happens to me. I don't care if I die. I am not going anywhere. I am for you. I am with you. That's chesed. It is stubborn love. One-way love. Love with no exit strategy. It is binding yourself to another person in love no matter the response. In fact, it's not at all clear that Naomi was happy with Ruth's statement. If you read the text carefully, she says nothing in response. She probably threw up her hands and unwillingly accepted this new burden on her life, and yet Ruth stays put. And that's what said does. It is loyal. It's fixed, unchanging. If the other person snaps at you, said stays. If the other person slights you or wounds you or hurts you, said refuses to retaliate. That's said. said is not based on your feelings. It is, it, is not, it is not grounded in how the other person is treating you. It's not conditioned on the other person's performance. Chesed is a stubborn love that is willing even to break the rules to protect and provide. It is love without limits. So this fall, we're going to see Chesed lived out by especially these three characters, Boaz, Naomi, and Ruth. But remarkably, and hear me on this, women, we will see it modeled most significantly by women who are in this story the chief actors, protagonists, and heroes. 
And, and this is remarkable. In a world, in the ancient world in which women were little more than property and no woman had any value apart from her association with a man, this ancient story tells the revolutionary and subversive message about the power and dignity of women. And more than anything else, it is the women in this story who model chesed for all of us. That is remarkable. And so how we need this kind of chesed in our world today, how we need this loyal kindness, right? In a time, just think of our time, guys. Just think of the age we live in. In a time when people cast off commitments, like they are changing their clothes. In a society in which we engage one another in a permanent state of agitation and hostility. And we are watching the public life of our nation descend into crass and childish incivility. Is it not a time for the church to model chesed? To be a counterculture revolutionary community of loyal kindness in a world that has gone mad. So that's what we're going to see. We're going to see chesed lived out in human relationships. But we will also see in this book God's chesed, his chesed for his people. There is a lot of suffering in this story. We'll start into that next week. Just got to warn you, it's going to be heavy at the beginning. <laughs> and some people call Naomi the female Job because she undergoes some inexplicable suffering that leaves her with nothing. Her sorrow is so deep she changes her name to reflect her bitterness. And yet, as we heard, though God is never mentioned by the narrator, we see his fingerprints everywhere in the story, at work in the events of the characters to bring about this complete and unexpected turn of events, this redemption. I mean, just think about it. Naomi could have never known, never, that the consequence of her suffering would result in the saving of her own family and the bringing of the Messiah, Jesus, into the world. There is no way she could have ever seen that one coming. And yet this is the message of Ruth. This book dares to ask the question whether God's love and faithfulness have run out for Naomi. Has God checked out? Has God forgotten? Has God turned away? That is a question that sooner or later every single one of us will have to face. You may be asking that today. I'm certain that some of you have asked that in your life. Has God's love and faithfulness run out for you? And the answer from this book is never. Chesed never stops. God binds himself to his people in love. God is writing your story, even when you cannot see his hand. That in God's perfect will, your story will be redeemed. It will turn around. That God's love is stubborn. It never lets go, it never stops, it never gives up, no matter how little your faith, no matter how poor your performance, no matter how beat up and battered your experience, he is faithful to the very end, as Paul says, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's chesed, that is eternal chesed, God's Love with no exit strategy. God's love without limits. So I'm excited about going deep into this with you, my family. Listen, let's pray. Let's seek this out together. Let's work together. Let's learn together. And above all, let's pray that, that God opens our souls to experience his never stopping, never giving up, always and forever chesed for us. 
so that we can more and more become people who practice chesed for each other and ultimately give it to the world that desperately needs it. Let's pray that God does that in us. We do pray, dear Lord, that you would show us through this remarkable book of this ordinary woman, Ruth, who showed extraordinary courage, power, and love. Teach us through her about your love and show us through this book more and more of your unstoppable, never-ending love for us, the love that will not let us go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.